God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you breathe life into our bodies, and then you breathe life into your word. And we thank you, Lord, that the breath in our lungs is from you. And I thank you, Lord, that your word, your breathed word of God is for us. Without it, Lord, we are gasping for air. But with it, Lord, we can breathe free. Breathe in, Lord, the true oxygen, Lord, that we need. We thank you, God, that bypasses time and space. We thank you, Lord. Your word will last forever. When everything is said and done, your word will still be here. We thank you, God. We just pray that our hearts would receive what you have for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to get right into what God has been given us in this season. We've been praying and fasting. Who's been praying and fasting along with the church? <laughs> Who's had a good time doing it? <laughs> Nobody's raising their hands. But it's good, isn't it? I said last week I don't like the process, but I like the results. When we fast, God moves. That's just how it is. God moves. And we looked last week. I want to pick up right where I started. Remember the story in Daniel. Daniel feels compelled to pray, compelled to fast, so he starts fasting. And for 21 days, he fasts and prays. And then on the 21st day, an angel comes and says, I've got an answer for you. Isn't that amazing? That God had an answer for him. He's got an answer for us. God said, Daniel, you are very precious to me. And that's what God is saying to you today. First of all, that you are precious to him, that Jesus loves you more than we could ever know. We say it and we know it as best we can, but we really can't even know it as much as it is expressed towards us on this side. But we're precious to him and he has an answer for us. Jesus is the greatest answer. There is no greater answer than Jesus. Every single problem, every single situation, every stress, every worry, every weight, everything that comes to weigh you down, Jesus is the answer. Every lie the devil has spoken, Jesus is the truth and the answer. And the angel said, I have an answer for you, just as God is saying to you today. But the amazing part of that story is that the angel says to him, but Daniel, I actually left on the first day. Everybody say the first day. The angel says, I left on the first day that you began to pray and fast. Daniel's wondering why I've been, why I've been praying and fasting for 21 days, if my answer came immediately. But the angel said, I was held up. We're not exactly clear because we are human, but what we know is that there is a spiritual world. We don't know exactly how it works, and technically we don't need to. We have the name of Jesus. We know that he's for us. We know that he surrounds us with his angels. We know that the devil has fallen, and we know that there are fallen angels, and we know that they're opposing us. We don't need to know their names. We don't need to recite things to them, but we need to know the name of Jesus. We need to know the name of Jesus, and we need to know who we are in God, and that God is for us. And if he is for us, then who can be against us? And he said, though, let me say, though, everybody say out loud, though. Though, though there is still a spiritual world, and there is a spiritual war for your soul. There is a war for your soul, and there is a war in the Spirit for everything good from God 
Everything good from God, do you know that Jesus is the best gift from God that he could give you? And everything in your life pre-Christ was trying to keep you from getting to him, wasn't it? Everything was trying to keep you from Jesus, the greatest gift. Now, when we come to him, when we receive Jesus into our hearts, we receive him into our lives, the war does not end, although now we have found the solution. Now we have found the answer. And if we cleave to him, we don't have to worry. Our eternity is secure. Everything that we need is in him. Amen? Everything that we need is in Christ immediately. You are immediately clean and washed and free. As I preach many times, in the meantime, but there is still life on this earth in between that decision for Christ and our physical death. There is no death. There's no such thing as death in Christ. We are eternally, we are eternally alive at that moment. In fact, the Bible actually says that the only death was pre-Christ, that you are a living dead man, a living dead woman. You were, all, you were already dead. But when we came to Christ, death was finished and abolished. The only thing that will still die is the body. But what happens in that time from him sparking and doing something in your spirit and that physical death? And that is this spiritual war, this struggle in the spiritual world for the enemy who is angry at God and now angry at you because you've become one with God. Did you know that you became one with God? You don't have to be, that's not, that's not new age. That's the Bible. The new age stole it from the Bible. You became one with God. Jesus said, I'm in you and you are in, you are in me and we are in the Father. You are in God's heart and God's heart is in yours. That's why David, pre-Christ, he was so close to being, he was so close to Christ. He was so close to the the. Uh, post-cross, because he had the heart of God. God's heart was in his heart. And so there is this struggle in the spiritual world, though, for your soul, first of all, and second of all, God is constantly, you pray, God's got an answer. I, you need to know that. We need to believe him today. In fact, God said to me not too long ago, I was praying about some things, and then he said to me, now I want you to believe what you're praying. And that kind of struck me, because you're kind of praying, asking God for something, but are you believing that he's going to do it, or are you praying stressed? I'm used to praying again, praying again, praying again. Don't stop. As I've been saying, don't stop praying but you're almost praying stress because it hasn't, the answer hasn't happened yet. You don't feel like God has come through yet, but God struck me. Now you need to start believing that what you've been praying is actually going to come to pass. And that's because, that's because the moment we pray, God hears us. The moment we speak Jesus' name, the answer is already done. But there is this world in between. There is this place in between us and heaven, and it is the spiritual realm. And the enemy, the Bible says that he is prince of the air. That is his kingdom. Now, his kingdom is where when you, when you give your life to Christ. Jesus told us it is underneath your feet. 
He may be prince of the air, but in Christ, it is under your feet. You will tread upon the scorpion. You will tread upon the serpent. You will tread upon the lion. The kingdom of Satan is greater than humanity without Christ, but lower than Christ, okay? But if we are, now, this is why the Bible, am I going too fast? I want to get right into it. A lot I wanted to say, and I don't want to get off on tangents and rabbit trails. So if we are in Christ and his kingdom, though, is above, is above the earthly, he's controlling like a puppet master, the earthly realm. God's over it all. Right? God is still God, but for the meantime, until things are wrapped up, He has allowed this system to be, and God has an answer. It's not just that He's allowed de the devil to run wild with no answer. The answer is in Christ. The answer is there. It's not that the system, God has done nothing. God's done everything that could be done. There is nothing greater. What more, than, what more could He do than send His own Son? The only reason the devil still has any control or power is one reason, because humanity gives it to him. He has no power over you unless you give it to him. You need to know as a believer that your answer is on its way. If you haven't seen it yet, it's coming. Nonetheless, why we keep praying and why we keep fasting, why? Because if you haven't seen it yet, then just keep praying because there is a force against it that will fail. I want you to say this out loud. God always wins. He always wins, but there is still a battle in between. And until you see your victory, until you see your answer, we must be very vigilant and diligent and watchful, guarding our hearts, guarding our mind, to be in prayer, to be in fasting, to be in His Word. What most Christians do is this. We pray once, we fast a day, we fast a meal, and we think, okay, bup, bup, that's it, we're good. And we immediately are bombarded, bombarded by the enemy. The worst thing that a, a general in a war could do would be to think just because he won a battle that he won the war. What we need to realize is, is that if we've defeated him in this battle, now with Christ, you need to say it again. I need you to get this. God always wins. Your answer is coming. Your eternity is set. It's fixed. You are greater. You are the head. You are not the tail. You are above. You need to know that. But when we are in our flesh, everybody know what your flesh is. That is your human nature. When you, when you let your mind lead, when you let your impulses, your desires lead, you are now operating back in Satan's kingdom. That is not God's kingdom. God has given you a new mind, a renewed mind, a renewed mind through his word. He's given you a new spirit through Christ. He's given you even a new body. You just don't know it yet because you haven't seen it, but even a new body is going to be put on you. But when we live in our flesh, when we live in the old man, 
we are giving power back over. And many things start to happen during your fast. And you may have noticed this in these last two weeks of your fast. So we get to our final week here. This is our final week through Sunday. For this fast, God may ask you to fast something else. But through this 21 days, we're on our final week. And you may have noticed a few things begin to happen in you. What's happening in a fast is what? Because you stop eating God's notice? Is it really, is that it? What's happening is, is something spiritual. You are going from a, you're using a human body, a human vessel, flesh. God used a human body, he used Mary to bring Jesus into the world. God, in order to to put the devil in his place because that's the devil operates in the, in the impulse and in the desire. Very first sin, right? We got Cain and Abel. He comes out and he murders. Anger rose up and he murders. And that world, that, that place of the impulse of the desire of this animal nature, that's the devil's playground. That's his kingdom. That's not God's kingdom, is it? That's not God. So when we let our flesh rule, when we let our flesh decide what's going to, what we're going to, to think, to meditate on, and what our actions are going to be, we are now letting the devil rule again in our lives. So your fast is a spiritual thing in a human body. We are doing something, we're, we're going outside of this natural realm by doing something, birth was natural. I don't even know how to describe this today. I'm going to describe it as best I can, and then you're just going to have to let your spirit rule. Uh, let your spirit figure this thing out. But I'm just going to say it. Your spirit is actually the one fasting. Your spirit is actually making a connection. It's actually bypassing the... The devil has no power. You're cutting straight through to the throne. You're cutting straight through to the heart of God. And something spiritual begins to happen in a natural body. Now, if we are going out of the natural and into the spirit, then what do you think the results are going to be? We're looking for a spiritual result. You're fasting for something or for something to change that cannot be changed in the natural which means it's a spiritual thing, but then the natural person that you're fasting for begins to change. How is that possible? So you are in the flesh, in a body. You begin to fast. You begin to pray. You go into the spirit. The spirit goes down and touches their spirit, which then affects their flesh. Their mind begins to change. Their thoughts begin to change. Their actions begin to change. Whether that's your own heart or somebody else that was on your heart or a situation or, or the nation or whatever it is that we've been praying and fasting for. We are cutting out, we're going out of the natural into the spirit to get something to happen in the natural. Does that make any sense? Are we following? I'm going somewhere. Everybody say he's going somewhere. Not sure what it is, but he's going somewhere. <laughs> But what's actually happening, if you are now, now we're talking about doing something spiritual and flesh. We're doing something in the flesh for a spiritual result. So we are now 
conquering. We are being spirit. We are spirit people all the time, whether you know it or not, whether you're ruling over your flesh, you're a spirit person. But now your spirit person is telling your flesh, you don't rule over me. As soon as that happens, two things happen. Everybody say out loud, two things begin to happen. The devil is spirit, but he operates in the flesh. He's not very happy. He loves when your flesh is ruling, doesn't he? Hey, married couples. Oh, is that funny? <laughs> devil loves when the flesh is ruling, doesn't he? I don't need to say much about that, do I? But you get what now, wow, wow, now we're getting what we're saying. Something, something, your flesh starts changing the spirit of this covenant, of something sacred and something protected, one flesh, something natural like one word out of your mouth, how does it have so much power that it can cut into, right into your very spirit? When we fast and pray, he gets angry, but a second person gets angry. Everybody say, a second person gets angry, and that's your own flesh. Your own flesh does not like to submit. So when it starts, we start warring the spirit. We just start declaring the name of Jesus. We're going to push some things in the flesh aside. We just thank you, God, that you're going to do this or that for us in this time. And your flesh, your flesh, the old man, which is dead, it is dead. It starts to bubble up. Your flesh starts to react. Who has noticed that in the two weeks? Who has noticed a little bit of crankiness in yourself? Now, don't be surprised. I'm preaching not to just tell you what you already know, but I'm preaching today to, to free you and also to show you that this is the world. We, that's the real world. This body is temporary, but the spiritual world is forever. And your flesh is trying to cleave. It's trying to hold on. This is why the world, this is why all they know, this is why selfishness is beginning to increase. Because all they know is me and mine and this time that I have. And we say make account, but I say it from a totally different perspective, don't we, as a believer? But they'll say make account like live it up. Do as much as I possibly can. Build as much as I can. Accumulate as much as I can, etc. Because that's their flesh. Now we've come into Christ, so that flesh goes into submission under Christ, but it is still going to fight you. In fact, the Bible says, the Bible says a few things about this. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature or their flesh, right? Satisfy your flesh. You satisfy your mind. Your desires will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired. <laughs> Why does the Word tell you to not get tired? Because whenever the Word tells you to not get something or to Beware of something, it's telling you that this is probably what will happen. He's saying, don't get tired. 
Let us not get tired, verse 9, of doing what is good at just the right time. Everybody say, at just the right time. At just the right time. Daniel, 21 days ago I left, and today I'm here. (laughs) You kept your heart right, kept your focus on me. By the time, if your heart is not right, by the time the answer gets there, the Spirit is trying to hold it up just long enough so that when it gets there, God can't give it to you now because your heart needs a little bit of work to be done. (laughs) If He were to give it to you, He'd be giving a spoiled brat something instead of someone who's like, I need you, God. And so we just stay focused, we stay diligent right through till the answer because your heart was humbled and it was right at the moment you prayed, you were broken, but we need to stay like that. Who knows that we very, very quickly leave that heart when we let our mind run. Who lets your mind run sometimes and it takes you places you wish you never went? But it says at just the right time, at just the right time, We will reap a harvest of blessing. What's that last part say? If. If is conditional. If. If we don't give up. The Bible tells us, I said it last week and I've said it many times this year, you can plant a seed in the ground. Great. Unless you take care of that seed, unless you water it, unless you fertilize it. Unless you, when it's, there's too much sun, maybe you need even, even more water. I mean, during hard times, you need more water than normal times. Unless you cultivate it and protect it all the way till growth, and then fine, it pops out. Now you've got some growth. You're running around going, great. The seed, it's got some growth. We're looking for a harvest of fruit. We're looking for completion until that fruit is grown. It's not finished. And we as, his, as the church, let me just, I just, I can't express it enough. Jesus loves you. He said, I come to give you life and life abundantly, didn't he? But he also said, and I'm paraphrasing, that you have an enemy that hates you. And he does not fight fair. He does not care about your good times or your bad times. He will come at you at the lowest time. He will come at you at your weakest moment. He'll come at you at the, when you're feeling the most pain and speak a lie into your mind. Who's heard those lies and now can identify them on Christ's side? Now you can say, wow, what a lie from the enemy that was spoken into my mind, whether it's for you or about something or someone else, right? You've heard those lies from the enemy in your mind during those hard times. And that's because, everybody say it, I'm a spirit man, but I live in flesh. He's going to try, but God always wins. He's going to try, though, and he's going to try, 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 And God's got an answer, an answer, an answer, an answer, an answer, an answer. But don't be surprised that he's going to try. It goes on to say in uh, chapter 5, it says, he said, I say, let the Holy Spirit guard your lives. Then you won't be doing what your, in chapter 5, verse 16, what your sinful nature craves. See, we need to be spirit people leaning upon the Holy Spirit. Then your sinful nature, but it is craving. 
See, your sinful nature does crave. Your nature craves. Your nature has desires. And if you let it, the devil will, he'll just puppet you around just like he does the world. I've been there. We are all like the rest of us. I've been there. I've felt his strings on my shoulders, and then you, you got to shake it. The Lord comes to you because the Lord's good to us. He loves you. He won't let you hang there very long. If you let him, he'll cut those strings quick. If you let him, everybody say if. He says you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. A sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. So there's some opposition. You know what opposite where we get the word opposition. There's some opposition going on. It says the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces, read that out loud. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. There is a war in your mind and your spirit and your soul. I mean, in all those different facets of being a human being, there is a war fighting against you to get that spirit man to bow to your flesh man. Everybody needs to know, ready, out loud, I don't have to bow. You only bow by choice. I know that in the moment, that's why we have the grace of Jesus Christ. Who's thankful for God's grace? Because many times when I bowed, it was so fast and so quick. I'm like, Lord, I didn't mean to bow. And I love his grace is so quick and he covers it and it's done. We need to run to that grace. That grace is, is not just a, an umbrella, right? But the grace is something that I cleave to. It doesn't just cover me like blindly, although sometimes I don't, you know, that's between God and the person's spirit. If he wants to overlook, he overlooks. But I look at it as something, okay, I know that I'm out. I've been, I got into the flesh and I shouldn't have got there and I got there quick. Forgive me and I'm back into your grace. Into my free will and in his grace. And I love that. I love that his grace covers us and the devil starts, man, he's, that's, he cannot touch the grace of God. He cannot touch you under the blood of Jesus. He can only touch you if you let him. That's why even Adam and Eve, let's go right to the garden. Did he put the apple in their mouth? Eve said to Adam, look, look it, and gave it to him. Humanity had to, he couldn't do it. He had to use a human being to take it and a human being to give it. That's what he does still today. His tactics have not changed and the word of God has been preserved. Why for us? So that we can look and see both the goodness of God, the greatness of God. We can see his victory. We can see his mercies. We can see eternity preserved for us. And we can see all these wonderful things. And we can also see the failings of flesh and the tactics finally. Let it be last on your list. It's not the most important, but it is still. Nonetheless, it would be so ridiculous for us to not acknowledge it. Because then you're really going to, it's going to sideswipe you. And you're going to say, God, you failed me. Start cursing God. God says, I gave you everything. I'm my son, what more can I give you? This is not me. 
Just get into, get into him. Get out of your flesh. Stop sinning. He's just going to say to you, stop sinning. It's very simple. You say, well, I don't know how. Well, just come to me. I'll help you do it. I don't know how to stop saying this. I don't know how to stop thinking this, etc. whatever it is. I don't know how. Well, come to me. And then the devil, as soon as that grace, it's like an iron door, man. There's nothing touching you. There's nothing getting you. In fact, Romans 8, right, says there's no condemnation either. No condemnation for you either. That as soon as that grace covers you, you are free. And we just need to be aware, though, that these forces are fighting. And, in, and then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, I warn you as temporary residents. Everybody say, I'm a temporary resident. You're a temporary resident. Where's your home? In heaven. Where is it? In heaven, not here. You are a foreigner. Everybody, I'm a foreigner. It says to keep away from worldly desires. In the New King James, or traditionally you might call this fleshly lust. The things your mind wants, the things your flesh wants, or, you ready? It doesn't even have to be evil. It could just be your own thought process. Well, this is what I think. This is what I think Linda meant when she said that to me, and that's what I think, and that's it. Instead of letting the Spirit say to me, well, I gave you grace, where's your grace? First of all, second of all, now that, okay, got my head clear, Psst, Adam, yeah, that was a lie from the devil anyway. She didn't mean anything. Okay, sorry, God. And that's just, that's simple. It can get it, go from simple to extreme. The point is that your mind, your flesh has its own way, but, and it wages war against your very souls. It says in 2 Corinthians, we are human. We don't wage war as humans do, right? We're flesh and blood, but we don't fight a flesh and blood war. The Spirit is trying to get you. Now, I want to go quickly. I have a little bit of time left with you. I want to go quickly to the book of Nehemiah. I could say, man, on this topic, I could talk, talk, talk. You think I talk already, but I could really talk about the flesh and the spirit. Is everybody following me so far? Is this good? Is the Lord speaking to you? We don't fight against flesh and blood, do we? But the Bible says that we fight against rulers and authorities. This, the NLT says, rulers and authorities of the unseen world. And there's layers of that. Layers, mighty powers, and you know MS principalities and powers and rulers. It's, there's an unseen kingdom one that we will see. One that one day, that kingdom of darkness will be thrown forever. Come on, this is part of our hope. Part of your hope is not just your victory in heaven. That's an amazing hope. But part of it is that everything that is ruling now will one day be thrown into... Come on, it's going to be thrown down, cast down for eternity. And what was pushed low, humanity that's been made to sweat and to suffer and to strive is going to be brought with Christ up above forever and ever and ever. Amazing. But in the meantime, he's still trying. And he's going to struggle. He's going to fight. He's going to fight. He's going to fight. And God's going to win Come on, I'm going to say it again. God's going to win. God's going to win. God's going to win. 
I'm obsessed with World War II, sorry. And I love that God won, didn't he? God's side won. I mean, it's all human beings. It's, it's so weird for us to think about just taking another human life. But there was a darkness. There was an evil that had spread from, from Satan himself into humanity to kill, to just rule. There wasn't anything good about it. And men rose up and gave their lives. And, and I don't understand why people had, why men, other men, good men have to die for bad men to stop. But you can see God was good in all of it. God was good. That you realize that, well, that's because this kingdom is not it. That this kingdom was not it. Because of that, if we hadn't done that, the 1950s was the spark of, of the Billy Grahams. In the 1950s, if we had not, I mean, all of that. And there's many, many, many names and, and so many nations that we went into the world. We went all over the world. And the point is, that hopefully I'm describing it as best I can, but there is a spiritual war that is, keeps trying to get a hold of in the flesh, in the human. And it, it's as simple as a husband and wife in your bedroom. It's as simple as an argument letting the devil rule. And it's as great as kingdoms warring against kingdoms. But it's still the same darkness trying to suppress, trying to rule humanity, trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Well, that sounds awfully lot like what God told us the devil came to do. But we as Christians, we as believers, we have power even unto death, even death itself. We have power to live, to walk on top. We can walk right on top of the rubble. We can walk on top of the heads of the serpents trying to strike us. See, when Eve was in the garden, the curse was that Eve would rule. Even then, she was still ruling because God was with her. You'll rule over the serpent, but he'll strike your heel. But then Jesus came and said, no more strike in the heel. He's going to try and strike, and you're going to have now the power to crush. We need to crush him. And the way you crush him is not a lot of words. I mean, that's fine. You pray loud. I like to pray loud. I like to pray with authority. But the greater than that is standing, you ready? In integrity. Even greater than those prayers even greater than those prayers because you can pray and bounce around and scream and then if you go back and start living in the flesh, the devil's going to come. He's going to go right to God. We can see it in the Bible. I don't have the time. Go look at the book of Job. He goes and he meets and they talk about who's on the earth and who's doing what and he meets with God and he's just that slick-haired lawyer and says, hey, this person's praying and doing all this but they're not living and God's, God has, has to say, well, you do what you need to do with him. He's, I can't, God has, he's outside of that place. God is spirit. He's not flesh. God doesn't hang with flesh. You can hang with God by being spirit. He doesn't hang with flesh. Your flesh dies. It cannot rule. All right. I want to get into Nehemiah just quickly. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I love, so Nehemiah, this very, very quickly. I'll give you super fast. Say he's going to do it super fast. <laughs> I'll give you a super fast run through of what happens in Nehemiah. So in chapter one, Nehemiah, it says that he, uh, in verse one, I'm just going to read this, these couple of verses quick. It says that, that in, in the autumn, they came to him. And in verse two, it says, my brothers, they came to visit me with some 
uh, other men who had arrived from Judah, and I asked them how things were going in Jerusalem, and, and he said, they said, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace, and the wall of Jerusalem has been put, torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Come on. We need to know, as just as Daniel knew, that, that there are things, I've been saying this, excuse me, like a broken record a little bit this, this season, but things are not right. And we don't need to go out there and tell the world what, we, what they know or what we know is right and they're wrong. We just need to start to pound the ground. We need to start to live more integrous. We need to start to be who God called us to be. And you can't help. Light, darkness cannot penetrate light. But a tiny little light in the greatest darkness can't help but shine. We just need to be light. And we need to just be who we, God has called us to be. And you can't help but change the world around you. So they said things are not going well. And we need to know this world is not going well. Believers, don't be lulled to sleep by the enemy. Don't be lulled to sleep by the devil and just try to live your own cute little white picket fence life. That's fine. You know what? You live for God, he'll give you the white picket fence anyway. And if this one is gray, because you never had time to paint it here on earth, I guarantee you'll have plenty of time to paint it in heaven. But he said, he said, when I, when I heard this, verse 4, I sat down and wept. Come on, this should be our response. When we look, when we see that there is an issue in our families, or among our friends, in the world around us, we should, there should be one response. Not, well, that's the decision that they've made. That's the wrong response. The right response is that we sit, we sit down and we weep. And in fact, for days I mourn, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Just like we've been doing. Come on, everybody say it out loud. Just like I've been doing. We've been touching heaven. Come on, you know that we've been touching heaven. The very first day we started to pray and fast, heaven started listening. And there's still, there's a struggle. The spirit, man, I can feel it. My flesh doesn't like it. And there's flesh around us that doesn't like it. And I can see in the spirit, he doesn't like what we've been doing this year. But we've been doing some things this year. Some lives have been changed. Who has changed this year? Anybody? Don't, it's not prideful. You can raise your hand. <laughs> okay, maybe two people only changed this year. But he said, Lord, verse 11, he starts to pray, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my prayers of those who delight in honoring you and grant me success today by making the king favorable to me and put it into his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. So he begins to pray, begins to fast, and then he comes and he sees the king in chapter 2. We don't have time to read all through it, but he, he comes and the king grants him the request. He says, go, you go to Jerusalem. He's just a measly cupbearer. But he prayed and he fasted, and now he's being sent with orders from the king, and he, he's going to Jerusalem, and he's, he's going to rebuild the walls of this city. In fact, he says, whatever you need, whatever timber you need, whatever supplies you need, God's got it. But God uses, there's this crisscross, and again, you're going to have to just let the Holy Spirit touch you, because I don't have time, or I don't know how to express it to you, but there's this cr constant crossing in God of, of touching the spiritual world and touching flesh. You need Him to touch your flesh heart, your flesh mind, and then He's going to have to touch, for stuff to happen, He's got to start to touch flesh people around Him. 
Now, if this guy wasn't honorable, if he wasn't integrous, if he hadn't been a good cupbearer, that's another sermon, but he also had to be a good man for to have any favor with this king. The king says, gives him a request because this was a good man at the same time. You get what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say two things at once. There's the prayer, there's the fasting, there's also the integrity. And then, so the king sends him. But, everybody say but. He arrives, in in verse 17 of chapter 2, he arrives and he starts telling the people that that are already there, he says, you know, we've been in trouble and Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And that's no different than what's happening right now in the world. It's no different than what's happening in, the, in this world today. It's the same exact thing. There are things in ruin. There is fire. The enemy has wreaked havoc, but God is ready. He's ready if we're willing to stand up. He's got a miracle for us. God's got miracles for us. There's a miracle that's about to happen, and I'm going to tell you in the next few minutes. There's a miracle that's about to happen, but it says, he says, that the king, he said, go, let's rebuild it right away, they say to him, and respond. But verse 19, verse 19, everybody say, but again. But, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked. There is opposition. You start to press into God. You tell God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast. I'm going to believe for that family member. You better know right away, immediately, that it's that don't even look. Don't even respond. Don't be surprised that you will have opposition. The devil wants that person. He wants you in turmoil. He wants husband and wives fighting. He doesn't want parents dealing with their children. And he will try, and he will come immediately, the Bible says, immediately he comes to steal away the word, to steal away what God has said is going to be done. God just said it's going to be done. He's coming. But we're going to keep going. So they come, and, and it says in chapter 4, verse 1, that Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall, and he flew into a rage and mocked the Jews. Who's been mocked by Satan? He starts to tell you things like, you're never going to do this. Who do you think you are? You may hear it from a physical person. You may hear it in your mind. It's the devil. And they say, they said in front of the Sumerian army friends, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? What does little tiny NNC without even a sign outside think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? You know what's good about the devil mocking God? (laughs) You know what's good about you being cursed, even by what you thought were friends and family, the devil's just using them, they let the devil use them? It's actually an amazing thing. Your ears should perk up when you hear that because you know that God is not mocked. God is not mocked. When they start mocking what God said you're going to be and what you're going to do and what you've been believing for, just, you don't need to say anything back to them. You can turn around. I told Brianna this. You just turn around and smile. Don't let the person know that you're laughing at them. But you just turn around and smile. You know that God's about to do something, isn't he? Is this all right? We okay on time for a couple more minutes?
Then it says that Tobiah the Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. But verse 4 says, it says, I prayed once so I was good to go. I prayed and the king said, I'm good to go. So that's it. I didn't worry about it. What's it say? Then I prayed again. Because I understand that this is a war. I understand that God's going to win because God said it. It's going to happen. It's going to be. There's going to be freedom. That person's going to get saved, period. But I'm praying again because I understand that there's a battle. There was a battle for me. All we got to do is you just look at your own mind, how much a battle it's been for Jesus to get you where you are today. It should not surprise us when we battle after we start declaring, we start believing that the battle is there. Should not surprise us. Well, I'm fully aware, God, of what it took to get me here. There was definitely a battle there, so I should not be surprised that there's a battle. But I know that you're going to win. Hear us, God, he says. Hear us. In verse 6, it says, At last, the wall was completed to half its height. I thought this was incredible that they noted this. Because who has said, I'm halfway there? <laughs> you know, they have a saying, it ain't finished till it's finished. They have a few sayings. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. But it ain't finished till it's finished. And the devil loves you rejoicing and getting happy about being halfway there. So does God. But the devil would love for you just to say, well, I think we're good. Start relying on your own strength, relying on you. There's another but. It said it was completed to half its height because these people, they love God and they wanted to get this thing. They believed that God was with them. So they worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead, that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. Don't be surprised that the enemy's furious. Don't worry about him either. Also, don't be cocky. It's like this, this balance of being humble, just like Christ was. Christ walked upon the waves right? And yet he let, him, let them put him on a cross as well. There was humility, but he knew where to lean upon God and what God's will is God's will and God's plan and so on. And they made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. One of the greatest tactics he'll use is confusion. Who's been put into confusion more than once? <laughs> It's the enemy, but we prayed. Wait, wait a second. They're praying again? Why do they need to pray? God already did it. It's finished. Why are they praying? Because it's a battle. They prayed again, but we prayed to our God and guarded. I love this. Everybody say, and. It's twofold. There is the spirit and there is the flesh. The spirit has to be lined up with God and the flesh has to be lined up in God. It is always twofold. As in, I don't want to re-preach it, but you can say I'm a Christian, but if your life doesn't reflect it, your words don't mean much. So they prayed and God did it, but 
and, everybody say it again, and, and they guarded the city themselves, physically, day and night to protect ourselves. They were fully aware that the devil is going to come. He's going to try to get to the spirit. He's going to try to get to the flesh, going to get to us on both sides. These both sides of me, my flesh has to be lined up with God. It's a whole nother level to this, that this whole, par- this whole story can also be a parable to us, that this is all happening in the spirit world. That's another sermon. And it says they made plans and, and we prayed. And it says, then the people, verse 10, of Judah began to complain. The people of Judah began to complain. So it's confusion, complaining. They just prayed. The workers are getting tired. <laughs> Hear that? The workers are getting tired. Let us never grow tired of doing good. Right? Let us never grow tired of doing good. It says, but the workers grew tired. And it says, there's so much rubble to be moved. We'll never get this done. We'll never be able to build the walls by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy camp came and told us again, and I'm wrapping up, I'm just not going to go anywhere else, I promise, told us again and again. What does that say? The enemy came and told us again and again. Well, that sounds awful lot like they're praying again and again. Enemy came again, I prayed again. Enemy came again, I prayed again. Enemy came again, I decided to keep on fasting because this must get finished. His work must be completed. And I know God will do it, but if we don't stay vigilant, they're going to come. It says they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed, verse 13, I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight. Remember the Lord and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. God's going to do it, but you need to stand up. We don't do it with physical swords. That day may, as I said, World War II, that day may come. You may have to actually fight off a physical enemy, the enemies that that the devil's using. But we do this by praying and fasting. We stand. We stand guard, everybody. We need to stand guard for our families. We need to stand guard. We need to not be afraid. Don't be afraid and stand guard. It says, verse 15, when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. See that? You see what God did? It took standing, it took praying, it took determination. You put your faith towards God, God starts moving. You put your faith towards God, the enemy has no power over you. It says, but from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard. 
half worked while the other half stood guard. Even, well, no matter what we're doing here, no matter what we're preaching, no matter what we're doing, there should always be constant prayer. Sometimes we don't even realize, we're like, what's that person doing? Well, they're in their room praying for this thing. And it says that all the builders, verse 18, had a sword belted to their side. Actually, verse 17, I skipped that verse, and that's my favorite one. It says that the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. Don't you love that? Kept doing, you just kept going. I'm going to keep building for Christ, but I'm not unaware that the enemy's coming. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep speaking life to you, and I'm going to keep dealing with him trying to come and attack. Because I'm preaching to you, he's going to come and try to attack my family. He's going to try to attack my marriage, get me stressed out, and now I'm not going to be with you anymore. But I need to be, keep doing both. I need to be preaching to you, preaching the truth, preaching life. But if you do one or the other, if you do one or the other, that's not about going to heaven or not. It's, but it's about being a complete believer of what God has called you to be. It's preaching the gospel and not letting the enemy touch you and get to your flesh. Let's stand. I could say a million things more, and I'm going to be kind to you. I'm kind, and I'm stopping. The point is, big surprise, they completed the wall. Anybody surprised by the end of that story? That wall was finished because God said it. And because, wait, there's a big and there. And because people, God said it, and people responded. We thank you, Lord, that you are speaking to us. We thank you, Lord, that we are not lulled to sleep, that we are aware, as your word says, of the enemy's devices. We are aware that he's creeping around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But I thank you, Lord, that your work will go on. I thank you, Lord, that the gospel will, in our lives will be preached. I thank you, Lord, that your kingdom will be built. I thank you, Lord, that the walls around this church, Lord, spiritually are being built, a wall of protection around this body. And I thank you, Lord, that you're doing it, and we're doing it together. And I thank you, Lord, it will be finished. You will give us, Lord, a safe place for this nation, Lord, for this valley to come into and be safe, Lord, in a place, Lord, that you have set apart. And I thank you, Lord, that we are preaching and we're about truth, but we also, Lord, are declaring that you will not touch our family. We're not going to let you in. No open doors in Jesus' name. We're going to keep speaking the word over our family, keep speaking the word over our children. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep fasting. We're going to keep gathering. We're going to keep taking the lies of the enemies put in our minds and crushing them. We're going to keep taking all the arguments and all the divisiveness and all the stuff that he tries to get in between us to get us stop working. And we pray in Jesus' name that all those things will be under our feet today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.